it up. You can start recording. Already done. It's already happening. They're on the ball. Guys, will you give a hand to our, our media? To they really help make things flow smoothly. Um, and uh, it's noticeable when they're not back there, all the glitches and everything else that we encounter on a Sunday morning. Um, which kind of pulls into sharp, I don't know, contrast or relief, I guess they call it, that this world, as beautiful as it is, as glorious and awesome as it is, and by I mean awesome, I mean like awesome. You know, like in, in one thunderstorm, there contains more, there's more energy produced in one thunderstorm than I believe in 10,000 nuclear bombs. It's just blows your mind how awesome and god's the one who created all this and we we just see god's fingerprints all over creation but yet i i don't know that's something i encounter we we go to other people i go to a lot of i I talk a lot with the youth and teens and and i'm I'm saying, look, can't you see how awesome God is? Look how, look how beautiful this is, the world, the creation. And it's like, man, it's, it's obvious there is a creator. And they're looking at the same world that I'm looking at, and they're seeing all the pain. They're seeing all the death and the destruction, you know? Uh, sometimes we get, we're, we're whacked out and trying to show about how God's awesomeness is. Like, can't you see what a great creator he is? Because we've, Look at this predator, and it's like so perfectly equipped to tear the guts out of this other thing, right? And that's like, no, that's not it. That's not God's original design. That's fallen creation. You know, this world is marred by sin and death. It's, it's not really that beautiful when you look at it. Um, there's a great clip from Madagascar, kind of puts this into focus. Alex was the lion, and uh, Marty is the zebra. Raise your hand if you've seen Madagascar. Okay, most of us. So there's this, they're from the zoo. They escape from the zoo. They have this dream of going back to their homeland, Africa. So they escape from the zoo. And Alex, the lion, normally is fed these steaks in the zoo. And uh, here, now he's in the wild and he's getting some cravings. And he's like, oh my gosh, my best friend, the zebra, Marty, looks delicious. Okay, <laughs> and this is, and so he, he even goes and he starts to take a bite of, uh, out of Marty. He's like, what are you doing? You know, and he's like, I don't know. What am I doing? What have I done? What have I done? And so he tries to remove himself. He runs away and is just like, ah, oh, there's this, I, I can't believe I was, I was about to injure my best friend. And then it's this revelation that they have uh, in this clip about just how, much they're not ready for the real world. So let's go ahead and watch this. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful. 
glassy skies of blue and clouds of white predators. The bright blessed day, dark sacred night, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow. So pretty in the sky Are also on the faces Of people going by I see friends in my hands Saying how they do They're really saying I love you I hear babies cry I watch them grow His dream come true to go to Africa and it's what it's really like out there is a nightmare. You notice how Alex isolated himself. And he puts up these things that even if he tries to escape that isolation, he hurts himself. You see that? Come on, that's our welcome to real world. That's us. And we, we isolate ourselves and we do things. We recognize how much we hurt others. We hate how much... Others hurt us. And so we'll isolate ourselves and we're going to punish ourselves. We're going to find a way to keep, to make things right. Even if that means we're hurting ourselves. And in the end, (laughs) we just die a miserable, lonesome, starving for love, death. And, uh, okay, that's our dilemma. (laughs) What what we uh, think the world is like, what we wish the world is like, is not like that. So... Let's, let's look at how things came to be, how this came to be. In Genesis chapter 2, 25, it says that now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. They were created in perfection. Do you have Genesis 1, 31? It says, then God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very good. Say very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. And on the seventh day, God rested. So it was all very good. No thorns, no cancer, no death. It was all very good. And even Adam and Eve, they were naked and they knew no shame. All right. You would say that it would be right for me to feel shame to approach you naked today. Okay, (laughs) see, in the Bible, it contains some of the most basic, the answers to some of our most basic questions. Why do we wear clothes? Because of the fall of man that you will see in in Genesis chapter three. I encourage you guys to read that. We're not going to go through all of that right now. Um, 
But you'll see in Genesis chapter 3, Kevin mentioned it last week about how the serpent uh, who, was in, who was influenced by Lucifer or Satan, whichever name you want to give him, he's the enemy of our souls, the enemy of God. And uh, came and she was tempted. He, he says, hey, has God said that you should eat from every tree but this or whatever? And, and she says, well, God says, you know, sure, if we touch it, we'll die. So she kind of got the command wrong. God said, don't eat. He didn't say don't touch. And so he knew right there, ah, I got an open door. And, and he used that to deceive her. She took the fruit, um, Genesis 3, 6. I don't know if I didn't give that one to you, but maybe you can have that throw up there, Mario. You see, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. It's in your bulletin. I love it. Let's read it. And seven, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. Say with. Okay, he was with her. He wasn't like off riding some elephant in some other part of the garden. All right, he was with her. And he ate it too. At that moment, say at that moment. Right now, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Kind of like Alex cutting those spears, that the lion, to try and protect himself and make up for what he did wrong. You know, we, they sewed fig leaves together. Isn't that kind of cool that, you know, she sewed them together? God had given them that knowledge to sew. Hmm. But instead of turning to God, they turned to themselves. And you see that everything was perfect. And then she chose to eat from the tree. Uh, Kevin had talked about that last week, that it was the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life are all playing a big role there that brought about the deception, that, that brought about sin coming into the entire world. Death entered the world. Death entered man at that point. Let's look at Genesis three seventeen through 19. See, God, God comes and he's like, what have you done? And he says, Adam's like, well, it's the woman you gave me. <laughs> she did this. And, uh, and God says to the man, Adam, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow... Will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made? This is death right here. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. What we see is death enters the world, death enters man. There's a physical decay that starts to happen now. Everything was supernaturally sustained by God, and God removes part of that sustaining power, and now there is decay that happens. We've got... We've got disease that ushers in, illness, thorns, weeds, pain, suffering, the physical maladies, death. But there's also spiritual decay that takes place here. This is our history. This is, this is our history. And I'm, 
eventually, I think you might see yourself in this. There was a separation from God. It says later on in Genesis 3 that God removed them from the garden before they could eat from the tree of life and live forever in their sinful condition. That's God's grace because he already had a plan to redeem what they had done. Um, So we see a spiritual decay of separation from God and there is this progressive sinfulness. Let's look at Romans 5.12. It says, when Adam sinned, Sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. What I was thinking of as, as God put this on my heart, that there's this decay, that death entered the world, there's this decay. Because the problem was, you know, he says, you'll die. And, and one of the things that Lucifer or the serpent said to Eve is, you won't surely die. God knows that the moment you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll, you'll know good and evil like he does. And you'll become like God. So you won't surely die. Well, did they surely die? No, not immediately. There's this decay. And what God put in my heart um, was it was like the decay of a branch or a plant that gets cut off. There's still life in it, but it slowly withers. It slowly fades. And, and there's this decaying. So like a tree or a vine that is, that is cut down. Let's look at John 15, because that's immediate. When I think about a branch being cut away, I think of Jesus when he says, I am the vine and you are the branch. John 15, it says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Verse 5. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. And that's talking about eternal fire. That's talking about hell. To be burned. See, there's the spiritual decay that as death increases, the life of God decreases. It's an inverse relationship. And we see, this, we see this play out, that they were full of life, the life of God. And once sin entered the world, all of a sudden we got this increase of death. How do I know this? Well, let's look at Romans one uh, twenty-eight through 32. That's also in your notes there. You know, why is the world so messed up? That's in your, in your bulletin, your notes there. I got, you know, those questions there. Why is the world so messed up? I don't know if you guys think about your answer to that. I hope it lines up with what we're going to talk about today. Your answer. This is biblical truth of why the world is so messed up. Why could a loving God allow pain and suffering? The next question on there was, are people basically good? That comes from a, uh, another religion that's being very popular. It's preached in our schools. It's called humanism. And it says that mankind is basically good. And if mankind is basically good, then there's no need for a savior. How convenient. People are not basically good, as we'll see in Romans chapter 1, 28 to what, 32? Yeah. Since they thought it foolish 
to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. Man, we're talking some pretty bad people here. They break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do things deserve to die. Yet, they do them anyway. Worse yet... They encourage others to do them too, to engage in it too. Let's look at Genesis 6, 5. It's on the wall here. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. We had Genesis 3 is what our main text, what we're referring to here. And just three chapters later, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently And totally evil. Growing up, I heard a little phrase that the Bible will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from the Bible. Something to encourage me to stay in the word of God and and it helped me to to defend when uh, when those temptations come that I can fight those things off. And uh, how true is that? Do you see that in your own life? When you're in the word of God, when you're when you are purposeful to to read and to pray and be with him, it seems like the temptations are it's easier to overcome. It's it's like sin doesn't have as strong of a grip in you. But yet the moment you start entertaining those thoughts, the moment you start going there, it's very, very, very hard to reengage with God, to come back. It's like Man, I know I need to read the Bible. I just, I haven't got time. And, you know, I don't really feel, I don't even know where to start with it. And you make all kinds of excuses. It's amazing how that inverse proportion is, death and life. When you remain in me, my life is in you. That death, what withers away. I love having that, the thought of a plant that looks like it's dying. <laughs> and then it comes back to life because you took care of it. Some TLC. And in it, that, that death fades and life increases. And hopefully you guys see that in your own life. Um, The thing is, though, this isn't just our ancestors. You see, we were created perfect, but now we have a different nature. You see, sin and death is in us. It It is our nature before Christ. That is our nature. It consumes us. It's instinctual. Throw Romans one thirty up there again. It says, haters of God, boastful, they invent new ways of sinning. It's instinctual. It's a, I, I, I don't have to think about it. I just come up with, hey, let's find a new way to kill somebody. Partial birth abortion. Let's find a new way. I'm not going to list other sins. It's too grievous. But we invent ways to, to blaspheme and to betray and to rebel against God. However, it's, the root is still the same. It's sin. 
you know, death is in us and there's nothing you can do to get rid of it. There's nothing we can do to remove it. Um, However we go about it, we cannot rid ourselves of death. Spiritually, we can be religious gurus and we cannot rid ourselves of death. Psychologically, you can try and explain it away. Emotionally, I'm trying, every way you think about how I can overcome the, the death and this wickedness that's within my heart that produces evil thoughts and evil actions, I, you know, I, I, I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to be happy. You know, emotionally, I, I try to control it. Physically, you can't beat it out of you. That's, that's a, a, a branch uh, of a her, heretical Christianity, Gnosticism, where you try to punish the body. The, the body is wicked and decaying. It's, it's, it's something that we can purify or cleanse before God. And that doesn't do it. Intellectually, we can't explain it away. Philosophically, you, you, can, you can't get around how messed up and how permeated we are or impregnated we are with evil. Sexually, you can't do anything to overcome it. Socially, you can't band together and make something a better world. We're always fighting with each other. Financially, you can't pay your way out of it. Behaviorally, I'm getting all these leaves in here. Okay, you guys seeing that? There's no way we can escape or remove sin or death within us. We can't do it. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 1, uh, 5 and 6. Why do you continue to invite punishment, God says? Must you rebel forever? Your head is injured and your heart is sick. You are battered from head to foot, covered with bruises, welts, and infected wounds, without any soothing ointments or bandages. And that's, that's what our lives look like. Look at verse 5 again. Your head is injured and your heart is sick. That's what she just gave a testimony about. My head's whacked out. My head's injured. My brain's thinking all this. And my heart is sick. Is there any doctor, any cure for this? I want to continue in 11 through 18, Isaiah chapter 1, 11 through 18. God says, what makes you think I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I'm sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. I'm sick of you going through the motions, God is saying. When you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgust me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they're all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. This is what God tells us to do. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, 
I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. Now, wait, let's go back to verses 16. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. We just got done talking about how we can't do it on our own. We can't be good enough. We can't go through all these other ceremonies and make it right on our part for God, which is why we get to verse 18, which says, come, let's settle this. I am the one that's going to make you pure. I am the one that's going to cleanse you because you can't do it on your own. Amen. Let's look at verse 14 one more time. It says, I hate your celebrations and festivals. They are a burden to me. They are a burden to me. Uh, I was looking at, there's a a commentary called Barnes Notes. And uh, the, the, author there he says that this is language here that they are a burden to me this is language which is taken from the act of carrying a burden until a man becomes weary and faint so in accordance with human conceptions god represents himself as burdened with their vain offerings and evil conduct there could be no more impressive statement of the evil effects of sin than that even omnipotence All-powerful God was exhausted as with a heavy, oppressive burden. I I just can't go anymore. I'm I'm done with this. I'm done with this, which is why we get to 18. Forget all your other stuff. Would you stop trying to do it on your own? I will take care of this. Amen? So there's two sides to a relationship, thankfully. And it's the same with God and man. Two sides. Man cannot repair the relationship on his end. I think I've beat this horse to death, right? We can't do it. We can't fix it on our ends. But let's beat it some more. Proverbs 18, 19. It says that an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. You ever, you ever offend somebody, a friend, and you, you lost a friend? Raise your hand if you've lost a friend because you messed up. You offended them. And no matter how hard you tried, you couldn't win them back. You, you said all the right words. You cried. You gave them gifts. You'd show up at the, in unexpected places to try and surprise them in a good way. Um, and, and they're just like, no, I ain't having it. I mean, maybe, I, I think all of us have had somebody that burned us. And we just say, you know what? I'm not going to waste more time on you. And that's exactly what we've done with God. That mankind, myself included, have offended the Holy One. We have offended him. Everything we do, our rebellious acts, our lustful thoughts, our our murderous hearts are all an offense against him. And Proverbs says that it's harder to win back a friend that's offended than, than conquering a fortified city. You see, there is no karma thing that that balances out or compensates for rebellion. 
you, you can't just try and, and make up, you know, for all the bad things you did, I'm going to do some good things to compensate. That, that, that idea is Eastern religion that is not biblical, and it's not effective. It doesn't work, and it doesn't make God happy. It doesn't appease Him. You see, God has always been after our hearts. He's always been after our hearts, but, but we give our heart to other things. We give our heart to other people. The Bible even says that we prostitute ourselves to lesser gods. Worse yet, we're adulterers because we're looking for the pleasure of things and we're not even paying for it. I'm sorry, yeah, <laughs> we're not being paid, receiving payment to enjoy the things of this world. We're paying out of our own pocket. We're inviting it into our bedroom ourselves. Instead of, instead of being intimate with God, we're intimate with other things. And, and you can think about that. Let the Holy Spirit touch your heart of what are the things that you're giving your heart to and devotion to instead of God. What are the things you're willingly paying for that, that tickles your ear, that catches your eye? Only God can mend the relationship. If we can't do it on our side, I pray, oh my goodness, there's got to be, I hope on his side he can make it better. Hopefully he can do what I cannot do. And he does. He can. He will. Amen? You can't earn forgiveness. Would you say that? You can't earn forgiveness. That sounds like, uh, I, I don't know, maybe it's just profound. This, uh, maybe you've never heard that. You can't earn forgiveness. But we live our lives as if we could. We live our lives as if we could earn his forgiveness. You know what, God? I'll, I've, I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do this. If, if you'll give me peace in my heart. If you'll forgive me for that. We barter with God. And, and when we mess up, we're like Alex making those, those spikes. And we surround ourselves. We try to make it better in our own power and our own strength. And we're going we're gonna to prove that we're trustworthy. Marty is going to come and see that the zebra is going to come and find Alex there. He's going to risk his life. Remember, Alex went over to the predator's side. And, and Marty is going to risk his life going to the predator's side. To come and see Alex. And Alex is going to say, it's okay, Marty, you can hang out right there. And we can still be friends. Because I've set up things to, to keep me from attacking you. It's okay, God. You can come. You can come right here. And, and as long as I do this and do that and do this, I'm not going to hurt your feelings anymore, God. I'm not, as long as I set up these things... And I'm in control of this situation. And I have it the way that I need it to have it. Then I can, I can be friends with you. But we can't really be that close. Because we're separated. You guys getting that picture? It's sad how, how I can, you can see all these things that come through. Even little kids cartoons of the, the message of the gospel. 
Uh, well, it's, it's not really sad. I guess it's good. I don't really like Madagascar. <laughs> That's why it's sad. Um, you can't earn forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that is extended and it's received. It is not something that you can earn. Just like the friend who's offended, you can do all kinds of stuff to earn their trust or whatnot. But guess what? Trust has to deal with the future, not the past. Forgiveness deals with the past. So you can try and prove yourself trustworthy, but there's always going to be that barrier, that gap. I'm not, you, can, you can come this far because you can't earn forgiveness. It is either it's, it's extended and it is received. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 43, 25 through 27. God, it's on, it's on his side now of the relationship to make it right. God says, I, yes, I alone. Say I alone. Okay, it's, it's God alone that will blot out your sins for my own sake. And I will never think of them again. Let us review the situation together, and you can present your case to prove your innocence, if you have one. From the very beginning, your first ancestor sinned against me, and all your leaders broke my laws. That's the end of that. Come, let's review this together. I, I alone, will blot out your sins. And if you want to hold a court case, a a hearing, then go ahead, bring your case. Your... Ancestor rebelled against me and everyone after him. You're guilty. You're innocent. Therefore, my decision is just and right. And I decree that I'm going to blot out your sins forever. Think of them no more. God makes it right on his side. You ever think about the damage that comes from relationships? And that there is no healing of a relationship. Unless there's forgiveness. All the damage that's done, no healing can really take place until forgiveness comes. And here's some sad news. You cannot embrace forgiveness. Nor build a new relationship with somebody. With that person you've offended. You can't receive forgiveness until you recognize your need. For forgiveness. We try to minimize it. We try to say, no, I'm not that bad. I mean, man, looking at Romans 1, 28 to 32, insolent backstabbers and disobedient to parents, murderous, envious. I mean, the, the, the list. It's just, I'm, I'm not like that bad. And we try to minimize it. And so we'll only receive part of God's forgiveness and our lives look like it. You see, if you don't receive God's forgiveness, you stay sick. The relationship is sick. It's broken. And, and, and we need healing. You sa- he said your head is, is, what was it? Damaged. <laughs> and your heart is sick. And if we don't receive God's forgiveness, you stay sick spiritually. And your 
whole Christian life following Christ, you have a title, I believe, but I don't live it. Your whole Christian life is going to suffer if you don't receive God's full, complete forgiveness. It's kind of like little Billy who takes your, your expensive pearl necklace and flushes it down the toilet with his Legos. All right. And, and you try to, and you, you do everything you can to assure him that you forgive him, but he doesn't feel like you forgive him. And so he decides he's not going to, he's so upset about it. So sick. He's not going to eat dinner that night. He's going to punish himself. And he wakes up in the morning and he's hungry and he comes to you and he says, mommy, I am so sorry. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mean to, to lose your necklace. I know how important that was. It was so special to you. You wore it on your wedding day. I'm so sorry to, to, to do that. And I'm just, I'm not going to eat it all today. And you do, you do everything you possibly could to try and convince him that you are more valuable to me than that necklace. That I, you are so precious. And would you please, would you please just eat before you make yourself sick? And that's exactly what we do with God. You know, your lack of confidence on his forgiveness. It does not change the fact that you are forgiven. Your lack of confidence in the, in the face of God about his forgiveness does not change the fact that you are forgiven. But. It will hinder you. Your lack of confidence and your, your unwillingness to receive that forgiveness in totality, in, in its fullness, it hinders you from achieving the freedom and the victory that, you, that is won through Christ Jesus. It comes down to humility. If we can't do it on our own, we don't like to hear that. We can't do it on our own. We try to make our own way. We, we, we fight to prove that we're trustworthy. We fight to prove that we're capable, that we can do things, that we can, it, 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 something's in my control, that I have some say over it. But it comes down to humility and recognizing, you know what, that is me. That is my father's and that is me. And I'm a wretched sinner before you, God. You... You are just when you say that I am deserving of hell. Deserving of punishment. And though it's hard for me to understand why you would go to the, to the great lengths that you have gone to purchase my freedom and forgiveness. You are just in your decision to blot out my sin. You are just in your decision to make me pure, even when I can't. And so now that's humility and that's faith that we come before God and we say, I repent and I receive your forgiveness. I receive your everlasting love that knows no bounds, that knows no limits, that there is nothing that separates us from your great love. I receive your forgiveness 
And I receive that I am no longer who I was. That I've been redeemed. I've been changed. I am a new creation. You say that I am white, whiter than snow. That's what he says. He will blot it out and he makes you white as snow. That is a present tense right now, white as snow. That you are cleansed and forgiven. You know, this sets up, this sets up for as we continue to, to approach this great Super Bowl of Sundays, Resurrection Sunday, Easter. We have to understand our true condition before God if we're really going to understand the sacrifice that was needed. If we're going to understand the power of God when he resurrected Christ grave for us I guess I want to be bold here I I, I want you to be bold I'm, I'm wrapping up I'm done I've got other notes but but I think it's time for us to take a stand Talk about standing on the word of God. Because everything else is shaky ground. Every other thing that you, uh, that you know about reality, what you perceive of, of the real world and how life is and how people really are, God trumps that with his word, his authoritative word that says no matter how you feel, this is truth. No matter what everyone else says is true, this is truth. You can trust me. No matter what situation is going on in your life, the storms of life, the solid rock is right here, his word. And in his word, he says that you can be forgiven. Not because of anything you do, but for his name's sake, he will redeem you. That's before the cross. We read that in Isaiah. That's before Jesus came that God says, I will forgive you. So, It's time to stand. I want you to stand if your answer to this question is, I am. Question is, who in here is in need of forgiveness? So now, if that's I am, I'm asking you to take a stand. Now, you can sit down at any point. And I, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But if you sit down, I want you to know that you are greatly loved. Despite how you feel about yourself. Despite what you've done, where you've been, who you've been with. You are greatly loved. You are accepted. You are forgiven. In the presence of God and in this church. And if you sit down, there is no condemnation. And we want to join with you. And we want to see you find freedom and victory and breakthrough. So, if you're in need of forgiveness, you stand. Who is willing to stop trying to earn forgiveness? If your answer is, I am, stand. I'm willing to stop trying to earn it. Who is willing 
to receive forgiveness. One reason people sit down because they're not willing to, they're not ready to receive forgiveness is because they have a hard time forgiving themselves. I just just can't forgive myself. I grew up in a Christian home. I knew the truth. I taught Sunday school and I went out and I slept with that person. I went out and I did this. I I walked away from God. And I'm back. I know, I know I'm back right now. And that's, that's great, but... I just can't forgive myself for this. You know what? Who are you to forgive? You really think that your forgiveness is greater than God's? You think your sacrifice is greater than Christ's? That's a lie from the pit of hell. You exalt yourself above God when you say, I can't forgive myself. Yeah, you, can, you, you should be ashamed of, of what you've done, where you've been. But you don't remain there. God says, I take you from that miry clay and I set you on solid ground and I cleanse you. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and beyond that to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, of anything that offends him. It's his power, his judgment that brings your forgiveness. There's nothing you can do to make it right. You can't punish yourself enough to to make it acceptable. Having said that, if you're willing to receive God's forgiveness, stand. Who's willing to give up this life that is so dominated by sin, death, so permeated with the suffering? I'm ready. I know that's a simple question. Everyone wants to stand. Here's a tough one. Who's willing to stop prostituting themselves to other things, to other people? To idols. Today I'm making a stand that says I am not giving my eyes to these things. I am not putting my hands toward these things. I am not going to let my body be an instrument of wickedness anymore. I am not. I I can't believe it. I didn't realize that I was prostituting myself. Giving myself away, my heart away to lesser things. Now that I know that, I'm making a stand. I am not going there anymore. I am receiving his forgiveness and I'm standing in the newness of life. So those of us who are left standing, it's time for new life. God calls us to repent, to lay down this life. And to take up the new life because of what Jesus has done. So I just, I want to have a little moment of, of silence here. As you repent before God. Recognizing who he is. Who you are. How far apart that is. And repenting. Worship team, I ask you to come on up. However, stay in that. Stay in that that place of prayer, repentance. God, would you, God, I, I thank you that you hear us. 
God, we're, we're done with all the, the displays of a good Christian. We're done with, with putting up these acts and acting religious and all that stuff. God, we lay that aside. I know that's offensive to you. So we, we put all that down. God, I, for those of us who, who are a Sunday saint and a Monday ain't, that, that we look good on, on one day of the week and we live, we live like hell the rest of it. God, in this moment, we're broken before you. We come in repentance. We recognize who you are and your glory, your grandeur. We see how awful and wretched we are. And we come in repentance to you. And it's not, it's not this hopeless despair. God, we come in repentance because of what you have done, because of what you offer. We lay this down, God. We lay down this, this life of, of parties, this life of, of, of just so self-centered, of drunkenness, of, of going from one pleasure to another, of being consumed and wrapped up in all the latest drama that's going on. Yeah, we, we, just, we lose sight of all of that, God. We lay that down right now in brokenness and repentance before you. And we agree, God, that you have made us worthy at this moment. The moment we put our trust in you, you make us worthy to receive your forgiveness. So, God, we just open our hearts right now to to let your forgiveness permeate our soul, who we are. I pray that you go and right now that you go through and you open all the doors of your heart, all the doors of your life. Let, don't, let, don't have any door closed there. Don't say, God, you can have access to everything but this. I, lay it all out right now. God, come and cleanse it. Flood this place, God. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your forgiveness And I embrace this new life, this new life of victory, God, that we walk in healing with a healed heart. We walk in healing. We walk in victory. No longer beating ourselves because of what an awful, wretched person I am. We have already dealt with that. Yes, you are awful, wretched, but not anymore. Those who are in Christ Jesus are a new creation. We're going we're gonna to sing a song of the heart here about how good God is when there's nothing good in us. So I pray that you join us.